On this team, we fight footage. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that itch. Coming in at 320 kilobytes per second, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Maddie C. For you and me. Hi everybody, welcome Maddie C Sports for you and me. Uh, I got a special guest with me, um, the folklore of Providence, the legend of uh, Providence for the Providence Bruins and the Bruins organization, um, Bobby Robbins. Um, welcome to the show, Bobby. How is everything with you? Really good, Matt. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All is good here. I'm up in central Minnesota and it's like 40 below zero today, but all things considered, it's a pretty good day. So thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to chatting yeah. with you. Um, so we'll start from the beginning. So you went to uh, Mass Lowell, the River Hawks, um, and that was in 2002, 2003, correct? Yep. 2002. I came in as a freshman, UMass Lowell, University of Massachusetts Lowell, and then played four years there. So I have an interesting fact for you. So I don't know if you know Mark Kincannon. From of course. Back then. I know Mark. Um, what the funny thing is, was he used to date my cousin back in those days in, in that time. And it was funny because I did see a Lowell game. You guys played UNH, and I believe you beat them four to two. And uh, I remember that game because that was my only UMass Lowell game. And the only thing I got was a – it was like a wooden stick, like probably like this big. It was like one of your uh, um, souvenirs you guys had at the time. And little did I know, you guys um, – pretty much began your rise in the hockey East and you guys were a serious contender. And that's, I think that's when it all started. So do you agree? You guys started off pretty big in that time. We did. I mean, you must've seen, yeah. First Mark and Cannon, he, that guy was a tank. That guy was an animal. He was a senior, I believe when I was a freshman. Yes. So coming in and seeing those guys, like those were, there were some big boys there. And, you know, that guy was throwing around some serious weight in the training room. And that was when I came to Lowell, I hadn't, really ever trained legitimate hockey training it had always been just you know you go do some bench press and some curls at, at the gym but seeing these guys training like legit mike boyle strength and conditioning programs yeah. throwing up you know 300 pound hang cleans that that was a rude awakening for me and i remember saying well i want to be like these guys i want to be like mark and cannon and just be a machine and after four years just buying into a program a strength and conditioning protocol like that really saw myself transform and put on 20, 25 pounds of muscle in four years, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, going back to when you saw a game at the Songus arena, legendary yep. place to yep. play. And um, I, I don't know if what year it would have been, but might've been. Um, so my sophomore year, we were kind of starting to climb up the ranks and then junior year for me, which would have been 2004, 2005, we were actually ranked, uh, ranked top 10 in the country. We mm -hmm. beat, we swept Boston college who was the number one team in the country. And we were, we were good, man. We had a guy, Ben Walter who played a long pro career in the NHL and the American league in Europe. 
I think he took 26 goals that year and we were, yeah, we were right there. I mean, just to see that happen. And then I, we were all excited to come into our senior year and Ben, our leading scorer, he ended up signing an uh, NHL deal with Boston. So he left school early, which was a tough hole to fill, you know, 26 goals as a junior. Um, but we never quite got there our senior season. But that junior year, man, there was something special. And we were we were flying high, top 10 team in the country, really putting you Lowell on the map. Yeah, I mean, you always heard of the North Dakotas, the Minnesotas, the um, BUs, the BCs, and then UMass Lowell, like you said, just you guys rose to the occasion. And now it's still continuing, I believe, that what with besides COVID, um, UMass Lowell has been making a name for themselves. They're not just playing locally, you know, you beat Vermont here and there, you beat UNH and stuff like that. So I think you guys were the, you know, the pioneers at the time. And now you can, they're a top team again. So I'm hoping that they continue. Um, so have you um, considered like going to games at all? Like, were you, were you going to games here and there? I mean, I, I live in Wisconsin and I'm actually in Minnesota now, but when I was playing out in Providence, I actually went to a game, got a bunch of the guys from our graduating class and had an alumni box, uh, you know, sky box up there. And uh, so that was awesome to see the guys there. And then um, have that's the only game I've been to in, in recent times. I guess that wasn't that recent. That was like 2012, 2013. So I'm, I'm overdue to get there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I actually golfed last summer, horrible golfer, by the way, but me I golf <laughs> golf last summer at the uh, the alumni golf tournament there in Lowell, which was cool to get a bunch of the old guys. I go I golf with um, a foursome of of guys who I graduated with, so it's cool to get back for that. But as as for seeing a game, I haven't been in a long time, but I want to for sure. Love to see the song just rocking. So with um, so moving on to your you know pretty much um, your career it, it kind of fluctuated for where you went to Europe you went to all around the AHL and um, what was it like actually being in like internationally how was that like going to um, you know um, the Danish Hockey League and playing Australian Hockey League all that stuff yeah it was awesome I mean I well actually I should say Belfast too yeah, Belfast, Northern Ireland. So I got to play, I played in Belfast, Northern Ireland, um, played in, in Denmark and Copenhagen, played in the Austrian League in Slovenia um, for HK Akroni Yesenice, living in a, living on a ski hill in Kranska Gora, Slovenia. I mean, just the ex experiences like that, like God bless Elmira, New York and Binghamton, New York and Syracuse and uh, for my early minor league career, I made like the entire tour of, of upstate New York and great people, great towns. But I mean, com comparing El Elmira, New York to living in Kranska Gora, Slovenia in the Julian Alps on a ski hill, it's like, whoa, this is, this is an amazing experience. And, you know, I just feel blessed that I've been able to have an experience like that because of hockey. Um, but I, I mean, I loved it. I was, I was just kind of living the life and, um, had had big plans to have a European career and um, started it with the Belfast Giants, which was a, a great organization. They're a world, world-class organization and um, had some success there and then ended up signing in the Danish league, which is a step up. And I just was hoping that it was going to keep going and eventually end up maybe in, you know, in Finland and Switzerland and the KHL, who knows. 
Um, but I had at that point in my career, I'd given up on my NHL dream. Um, but there was always a, a small part of me I kept hidden for a lot of years that that was a big regret that I had left early and had given up on my NHL dream. And so I, while I was living that life and I was living on that ski hill and like all our those social media pictures look good and everything. Um, but there was a there was a part in my heart that that I said, man, I gave up. And I was, I gave up because I was scared. I was scared to fight. Why didn't I do it for real? You know, I had signed an NHL deal with the Ottawa Senators out of college and I, I had to be a guy who fought, but I, when it came time to chuck the knuckles, I was just terrified and I let that fear consume me. And then I was able to cover up that fear with, you know, um, just drugs and alcohol and the party scene and just mm -hmm. living that lifestyle. And so I was having a great time over there and seeing success, but there was still a lot of, um, darkness there within myself, a lot of addiction. Um, and I was just really lost in my life at that point. Yeah, I can, I can attain to that in a different, uh, perspective, you know, um, it was funny because my high school career ended shortly my freshman year because it was very political here in little old Weymouth, Massachusetts. Well, I shouldn't say little, but our state team in this, um, in this, my senior year, they went to the um, finals against BC high school and um, they lost, um, I think it was four to two, but um, the funny thing is, you know, we got some, we got two uh, my, uh, hockey players out of it. Charlie Coyle, who plays for the Bruins now and um, what uh, Paul Carey played for Providence as well. So um, it's very interesting how hockey works, but I get, again, like, Sometimes drug and addiction can and get you into trouble. You know, I started drinking and doing stupid things at that time in my life as well. But um, live and learn. Now I have a beautiful daughter and I can't complain. So oh, praise God, man. Same here. Yeah, it's, I, I got into, um, you know, drug and, uh, and alcohol addiction, the party um, early on in my life, too. And I got into trouble. I got kicked out of, of high school and and you know, was living this life of seeing, being a successful junior hockey player, playing in the USHL, playing for UMass Lowell and, you know, winning all these trophies, my senior year, winning male student athlete of the year, you know, like fan favorite, um, leading scorer, MVP, all these, all these accolades and trophies and everything, but inside and, and everything looked good on the outside. But if you really looked into inside in that interior, I was, really riddled with all kinds of addictions and insecurities and I was lost I was spiritually lost and bankrupt and I'm um, just living in my own selfishness and sin but but able to have this exterior success and that followed me all throughout my pro career when I when I signed with the Ottawa Senators you know all of a sudden I signed an NHL contract I get a signing bonus I'm like man I I made it man like I'm here and all of a sudden it's it's easy for me now I'm now I'm training hard, man, Monday through Thursday, but then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm partying hard too. And I'm living that life and, and putting that credit card down now that I made it. And man, I didn't make anything. Like I showed up to that training camp in Ottawa and, uh, and realized, man, I'm not a pro. Like I'm not, I'm not a real pro like these guys. And it took me a while to finally get to that point. And a, a part of that story for me was really addressing a lot of these, a lot of these addictions and say, well, why am I like that? What's, what am I, what am I covering up? Like, what am I, am I trying to fill a void in my life with these chemicals? And so 
kind of bouncing around here, but I, while I was over in Europe, that's where I was living that lifestyle. And I don't know if you know this, but they party pretty hard in Northern Ireland, man. Like they, I didn't, I didn't think so. I thought they were <laughs> clean cut people. <laughs> I mean, it's a great, great people, great city, but it's that big, it's that drinking culture there. And I just, that's where I was in my life. And that's what I did. And that's what I was really a pro at there. Um, and then that, that kind of followed me throughout, um, throughout that year and the next year, but I ended up meeting my wife, Samantha, I uh, met this girl and I'm blessed now to have a daughter of my own. What a, what a huge blessing, a couple of wretches like us for God to bless us with a, to be entrusted to take care of a little girl. It's pretty amazing, man. Um, yeah, exactly. Just, just seeing, wanting to change at that point, it kind of coincided with um, wanting to change the trajectory of my hockey career as well. And so just for me, cleaning up a lot of that, those aspects of my life really brought me back to North America to say, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a run for it. And I'm going to face this fear that I have of fighting. You definitely did. Um, so you count, so you come back, you um, play for the Chicago heat. Um, I meant Chicago heat, Chicago express. And then you play for what, Absford heat. Is that what Abbotsford, you pronounce it? Yeah. Yeah. Calgary's farm team. Okay. So how, how are those experiences at those two? Cause I'm probably going to talk about Providence for the rest of the thing. <laughs> no, I love it. I mean, that's when my career really started. I feel like is when I went to Providence, but it was a long road to get there. I mean, I was playing in the, I was playing in um, Belfast. Also I signed a contract. I signed this nice contract in Denmark. Like I'm, Oh, I'm going to start my European career, man. And all of a sudden the economy crashes in 2008, all the North American guys get fired because there's no money anymore. And then oh, I bounce wow. around. I mean, that was a huge, a huge blow to my hockey career. Like, of what I thought my plan was. I planned to play for 10, 15 years in Europe, you know, where it's not quite as taxing on your body. And when you can make good money, play less games, live in these amazing cities. And all of a sudden I was living in Copenhagen, Denmark, and that door closed. Then I was able to get to this Austrian team, didn't really play, just kind of rode the pines and, and sat there. I think they wanted me to be a fighter because I was a big, tough guy. And at that point in my life, I was like, I'm not fighting. Like I, this is why I came to Europe because I don't want to be, forced into this fighting role, which ever since I turned pro, that's really what they wanted me to be. They, um, but, but that's what I, I was meant to be. Like I'm built, built for that, that kind of hockey. Uh, but I was just kind of scared to embrace that, you know, end up meeting a girl, end up having, um, you know, getting, getting off some addictions that I had and finally saying, man, I'm going to really do this. I'm going to really fight my way to the NHL and learn how to fight and work with a boxer, Gunnar Garrett, if you're watching, you're a big blessing, brother. Work with mm -hmm. a pro boxer, learn how to throw real punches for real, man. And and started in the East Coast Hockey League, double-A level out in Bakersfield, getting my first fight at training camp against uh, Michael Findorf, big six-foot-six rookie from the OHL. I'm like, this is it. This is my first fight, man. This is my first step to achieving this dream of playing in the NHL. And I finally took that step. I was like, I'm doing this, man. I am going all in, getting this fight uh, in Las Vegas in a casino, it, it, the New Orleans casino against the Las Vegas Wranglers, double A hockey. First shift, I fight Michael Findorf and I hit him in the teeth with a left. You kind of see that scar right there now. Um, oh, I can't really see it. No, I'm just, <laughs> oh, I'm <kidding>. just... <laughs> right. I mean, knocked out his two front teeth, severed the tendon in my hand. And I'm out for three months, my first fight of my comeback. Wow. wow. And I'm like, that's where it dawned on me. Like, this is real. Like, this is, 
<laughs> we all watch hockey fights on TV and like, oh, that looks so cool. Dude, these are real things, real bones being chucked at you. And so that's where I realized, and I was like, whoa, like I've, I'm already in. I've put in five months of training. I'm not turning back. And, you know, just got got better and better at fighting, really, um, really honed that craft. And then so was in the East Coast that whole year, then went to Chicago and was starting to really become a player and a, a serious fighter. And then got called up to Abbotsford, got sent back down and didn't really had the opportunity, but really nothing happened. And then all of a sudden got that call to Providence. And uh, my, my first shift, man, as a Providence Bruin, I'll never forget Ryan Holweg, who was a tough dude. He was a tough guy in the NHL. Uh, he was in the American League at this point. And I was scared of this guy. I used to watch him my rookie year. And, and the coaches, the brass in Ottawa, were like, you should be like this guy, Ryan Holweg. Fly around like a heat-seeking missile, smash guys and fight guys and take the puck to the net. And I was watching Ryan Hallway. I'm like, I can't do that. This guy's intense. Well, guess what? I get, I get called up to Providence and who am I lined up against, but Ryan Hallway. <laughs> and um, the weekend before or two weeks before he had knocked out the captain with a concussion. And so I get in there and have a meeting with, um, with Bruce Cassidy, now the coach of the Boston Bruins. And um, I, I played a game in uh, Toledo the night before, woke up at 6 a.m., took a hour taxi to the airport in Detroit got on a plane Detroit to Providence, got on a bus in Providence, five hours to Portland, Maine, have a meeting with Bruce Cassidy. And he's like, Hey man, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here, Bobby, you're a good hockey player. Um, just go play your game. And I want you to know, just be aware Ryan Holweg out there. He's been a real pest to us. And I was just like, I got him coach. I got yeah. him. And I was like, I'm fighting Ryan Holweg tonight. And by the <laughs> I now know it was all God's timing now, but I didn't know what it was then. But my first time I stepped on the ice, I was flying 100 miles an hour toward Ryan Hallweg. The instant that he was looking back like this, he got a buddy pass up the boards, and I just smoked him, man. I drove my shoulder right through his chest. And before he even hit the ice, he was already telling me we're fighting. He goes, we're fighting, and his gloves are off. And uh, we go at it, and I end up TKOing him and, and dropped him. And it was like, boom, that moment. My first shift as a P Bruin, I was like, I'm a Bruin, man. And that really solidified my spot there that I was going to stay there. It was just one of those moments in my career that, man, I'll never forget. And it could have just been another game where you don't do anything, but and an impact was made that game. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally have seen you in Providence. And then when I was starting to date my wife, I saw you in Worcester, too. So... Oh, nice. When I would see you in Worcester, I'm like, I can't root for a team with a fan base of like two. <laughs> um, but yeah, you you really defended your team. And um, I remember you playing with Whitfield. He was a great player. Um, and you yourself, you're, you're a great four checker. You, you knew how to hit. You knew when your time was right to throw down with somebody. Um, and I don't know. You, you always have that hockey sense. Like you weren't just a, a scrapper. You could put the puck in the net too. You, you didn't keep that in your memory that you just, that was your main goal. You wanted to fight. You also could play too. And I don't think yeah, people sure. didn't understand that. And like people in Providence love you. You're like God over there in Providence. <laughs> I, so, you know, I, I appreciate the, you noticing that, but I, uh, not the God part. I know who I know who the true God is. We'll get to that. But 
Um, I appreciate I appreciate <laughs> the hockey that. god. How about that in Providence? <laughs> I appreciate you saying that I was a player too, because I, I I definitely was. You know, I was a Division One leading scorer on my team, captain, leading scorer. So all of a sudden, you get to pro hockey, and this might help some of your your um, hockey player listeners. Like the higher levels you get, even you get to high school, you get to junior, especially you get to college, especially when you get to pro, you start to get put into um, put into a role like. What are you? Are you a goal scorer? You got to score goals on the way to scoring goals. And mm-hmm. the coach told me that once. You're gonna be a fighter. You get in a fight on the way to the fight. Like you're, you do what you do. You're a shot blocker. You're just blocking shots all day. And so I was, I was struggling to find that role of who I was because I, I love scoring goals. I was a player, but I loved body checking. I could always check. That's just one of the skills that I always had, and I could forecheck, and I was fast, and. Um, but you get to pro hockey and all of a sudden guys who do that are going to have to fight too. So it took me, it took me about five years before I really figured it out when I came back from Europe. But once I figured it out for me, it was all about facing that fear. I was like, all right, I know I'm a good hockey player. I can play the game, which sets me apart. But if I'm going to fight too, that's, what's going to be my ticket to get me there. Like where I was, you know, if I take a real honest look at myself I was kind of a, a bubble guy between the American Hockey League and the NHL. Like I can play, I could play in the NHL, but what's going to get me there? There's a lot of people who can play in the NHL, um, but just don't get that chance. So I was like, man, I have the skill to do it. But if I had this fighting part, and that's where I became that complete player and, and really became a legitimate pro uh, later in my career. But uh, yeah, I mean, I loved, I loved playing hockey too. Like the fighting part there, it's a love hate relationship just because it was, it's real, it's raw, and it's scary. But I mm-hmm. love just going out there and forechecking and giving it everything I have to try and put that puck in the net and laying my body on the line for my team. And I just, you know, I think, I think especially in Providence, you know, I, I was a fan favorite wherever I played, it seemed like. But it, was, it wasn't until Providence where it was just something special. I think it was the culture of that town. I think it's the Bruins culture. And I think that for whatever reason, that's just – man, it's, it's, it's Providence, man. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it was just meant to be. And, and I went there and they just really took to me and I took to them and, and that's, that's home now for as far as, you know, where I played, that's my place that feels like home. And, and the thing that was great about the dunk. And I mean, if anybody doesn't know Providence, they call it the Dunkin' Donut Center, but it's really the dunk. But um, when you were there, like as a spectator a fan like me, I mean, I knew 21 was out there. You, like me, I, I know who you were and I knew what you did and I knew how you were as a player. And you could see that, you know, you weren't just a scrapper. You could you could play a pivotal, pivotal role in, in um, on that team. And, you know, it's it's a tough league. And I can and I I pretty I probably pretty seen much all the East Coast teams like the Wolfpack and um Portland Pirates and um, Worcester and all those places. And, you know, coming into the dunk, I mean, you can hear every single thing in there. Like you could hear somebody sneeze in there. I mean, you could, and when you hit somebody, you heard it, like you heard it from the balcony really. And like, it was amazing when you were out there and you're like, it's like, oh my God, he's going to scrap. Like, here he goes. Like, you, it's like the fans were waiting for you to come out and, you know, really strut your stuff. And, it, and being the fan favorite, um, 
I think it was a great move on the Providence organization to make you an alternate captain. So yeah. How, for, how did that feel when you, when you got the A right on there? For sure. I mean, I always, I was an older guy at this point, you know, I was already in my thirties. So that was, there was guys on the teams who were, were 10 years younger than me. And I'll never forget. I had a moment and I won't, I won't throw anybody under the bus here, but I, I had a moment when I was a rookie I, I signed with Ottawa. I went up to Ottawa and there was one of the big time players on the senators that, you know, people know who this guy is. And I walk into subway and I'm just some rookie, nobody out of UMass Lowell, like UMass where, you know, some of these yeah, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. UMass Lowell. And I walk into subway and I meet eyes with this guy and I'm just a kid, man. I'm scared at NHL camp. I'll never forget. He looks at me, kind of gives me the, the up and down and just kind of shakes me off and goes back to reading his newspaper. And I'll never forget that moment, my first NHL training camp. So from that moment on, I said, you know what? Any rookie that comes in here, any, any teammate that comes in here to my team, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out of my way to make them welcome. You know, any fans that – a fan's going to cheer for me, man, and, and give me his support, pay his money to watch me play, I'm going to pour it out for this person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really be invested. And that's something that – I think it came naturally to me. I've always been a people person and have the ability to connect with people. But I, from that moment on early in my career, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to make the most out of this opportunity. I don't want to be just another, you know, jerk athlete. I want to be genuine and connect with people and especially my teammates. And so I always had that in the back of my head. And part of that comes with now just helping the young guys and keep putting, you know, taking them under your wing. I'd take them under the Robin's wing and and man, you know what? I'd say, Hey man, let me buy you lunch at Subway. What a, what a, uh, a difference than my experience at Subway as a, as a beginner pro say, Hey man, let me, let me take you out. Like, where are you at? Like, what's, what's happened? Do you have any, you struggling with anything? And so that's something that I just always wanted to do. And, um, and I always did. And I think with that comes leadership abilities and that, that kind of makes you stick out on a team. And yeah, it was pretty cool for them to give me that a, and to really make it official that I was a leader on that team. And I embraced that role for sure, and help to develop the young guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like you said about the dunk, there's something special about the dunk, man, to get that place lit up every night. And, and for me, I always, um, I prided myself on consistency. Part of when I was in my early pro career, even in my college career, I'd be like, have an A game one day, a D game one day. It was like this up and down, up and down, right? And then later in my career, I was actually, when I got to Providence, Bruce Cassidy told me something really, I used to talk to Bruce and pick his brain. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever known. And he told me we were talking about consistency because he knew that in order for me to be a player, I had to be consistent. And he said, Bobby, you don't have to bring your A game every night, but you definitely have to bring your B game every night. I was like, well, what does that mean? Well, I found out that, man, I'm not going to be able to bring my A game every night. Like I'm not going to be lights out, unbelievable every night. But every night I'm going to be good. I'm going to be really good, whether I feel great or whether I feel like junk. And so that's something that I tried to bring every night of that element of, of being good. And for me, it, it came with being intense. So I just bring that intensity every night. And some days I didn't feel it, like, but I had to find a way to go to war. That might be I mean getting a hit in early or getting in a fight early. Other times I was like a, just a baboon out there ready to go, man, ready to, ready to, to go to war but that's consistency. And that's kind of what separates a lot of players from just an average pro and a good pro. 
And I pretty cool that the Providence fans recognize that. And then there is that anticipation, like, oh, what's, he's, you know, he's going to bring it, that 21, he's going to bring it every night. So absolutely, um, it was just kind of a, a recipe for uh, that, that place to love me, and, and I love them. Yeah, I'm probably about 40 minutes from Providence, and I know a couple of people from that area, and most of them know who you are, and they know of, they've been to a game, they've seen what you've done, and, you know, and you have shown an inspiration to that city and they love you. They absolutely know who you are. And uh, yeah, I, I never had a ticket where I didn't see your uh, D game ever. So I must have <laughs> had a pretty good run there. Um, so let's talk about with your um, with your Bruins debut. Um, a lot of it was they said it was um, when Sean Thornton was beginning to um, move from, from, uh, Boston and I, to get traded to, um, Florida and you were the up and comer. So that must've been more nervous and exciting for joining into the Boston or organization now, even though you're still affiliates and all that stuff. How did that feel? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was awesome just to see it all come together. Obviously, uh, obviously Thornton is, is a legend. He was one of the best fourth line fighter enforcer players ever. And he's a player too. He can play. Um, but at that point in his career, he was now 36 and I was only 32, but still it seemed like I was so much younger. Cause I was, he'd been doing it for a bunch of years. Like I'd been kind of, I just made my comeback four years before. So I, I think I, people, I earlier, maybe I played younger than I really was, but I was kind of looked at as this young guy, up and coming guy who was really doing a bunch of stuff in Providence and really showing that I, that I can play and fight. And when, as soon as uh, Boston signed me to a two-year deal, uh, Sean Thornton was still on his last, he was on his last year of his contract. And I went to training camp um, with Thornton there. And I remember being like, oh, you know, I even sometimes played on the off wing uh, to let him know like, Hey man, I can play with Thornton. I think we could be together. Um, but then that, you know, I didn't get called up that year. I didn't make the team that year. I actually got injured. I hurt my knee. I was having a really good training camp. Um, but then on the second year of my contract, um, Thornton had signed in Florida. So yes, I was like, I all right, this is yeah. it. Like that, no one is taking this spot from me, that fourth line right wing spot. And it was pretty much, uh, you know, I found out later it was, I was already penciled in there. It was, you know, like that was my spot. Um, but I mean, I still had to go in there and earn it and beat out a few guys. But like, there was nobody who could who could take that spot. Maybe aside from a guy like Tyler Randall, who was still I think needed a year to develop, um, which he would obviously. I remember Tyler Randall yeah. too. But he was kind of my my protege or my guy who was I was looked at to help. He was ten years my younger. Um, but at that point, at that training camp, there was nobody there who was going to take that spot from me. And I had that mentality too. I was like, come try and take it. Like, see, see what happens if you try and take it. So with the, with the Bruins games you, you played in. So I know you played in the flyer, you played against the flyers and you fought Luke Shen, right? You fought, you yeah. fought Luke Shen. What was that like? <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, Luke's, a, Luke's a big dude. He's a big lefty. I mean, I knew, I knew all the guys when you're, when you're in the fight game, you know, who you're going to, um, you're going to fight and you study their their film and everything and i had seen his fights i knew he was a lefty who goes toe to toe and 
I mean, if you watch that video, man, we're going toe to toe. He clips me with one in there. Um, but I just, I come back and I start throwing even harder. And, um, I think I slipped down on the ice or slipped onto a knee, get back up and then come, come with an uppercut and land on top of them. And you can just, you can see the, um, the camera shaking from the noise in the arena. And you just oh, feel that. The energy. garden's loud. The garden's yeah. loud. Um, so in your other games, like, do you remember any of the other games you were in, in, in playing yeah. with the yeah, played in, played a game in Detroit and then played a game at home against Washington. Oh, so you saw Ovi at that time. Saw Ovi. I saw Ovi a bunch of times. I think I played I played two or three exhibitions against him. And yeah, Ovi and I didn't get along out there. He didn't he didn't like me for oh. some reason. <laughs> Probably because I was always chirping him. But uh, yeah, he he said some things to me one game that I can't ever repeat, but um, oh, I thought I was going to get the exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was all, all in good competition, I'm sure. But yeah, I love Ovechkin. He's obviously a great player. Uh, but yeah, I played, got to play against uh, Washington my last game. And uh, those, those two, my first game was good. Those last were, you know, was an A-B game. Those last two games were, unfortunately, like C-D games. I wasn't all there. I was, I was battling through kind of head stuff, concussion stuff, and just playing through it. I never was able to bring my A game or my B game, which I still look back on. I'm like, man, I wish I could have could have showed my stuff because I, you know, when I was bringing my A game, which I did throughout that preseason and even that first game against Philly, it was uh, I was just a player out there. I could I could fill that role and, and do a good job at it. Well, I tell you, yeah. Um, so what with the concussion stuff? Um, I know you played like two more games with with Providence. Um, was it the year after with the Bruins? No, it was that, it was that same year. So I got, oh, okay. after that Washington game, I got sent down through waivers. I just was, I, I didn't tell anybody about what was going on, what I was battling. And was, like I said, I was just playing those D games. I was having D practices, got sent down, played uh, Friday, Saturday night in Providence and just didn't even play. Um, got a couple shifts and then, Eventually, I was like, all right, something's not not right here. It's not going away. You know, hockey fighters get punched in the head all the time, and you take shots in the head. Mm-hmm. For me, you know, you'd get your bell rung, they call it, and then it just goes away. And finally, after that Saturday game, I was like, this is – something's up here. This is worse than, than I thought it was. And I you know, talked to the team and um, had a concussion. They told me to, you know, take it easy, and it just never went away for, for many months. And that led to a whole host of uh, post-concussion syndrome and depression. And that led me right back into drug and alcohol abuse and suicidality and pretty dark spot. And um, there was some dark stuff happening to me. I now know that the devil really was trying to, was trying to destroy me, you know, trying to have me destroy myself. And I wasn't a, a spiritual guy at the time, but there was, there was a lot of darkness. There was, I was seeing some demons and, um, doing drugs and I was seeing seeing demons man and, and they were wow, all wow. yeah um, I, I can hear you on that one just because of like I mean this is like mental health stuff sometimes you know um, you know I've dealt with those demons through mental health stuff later on in my life so it's it's about control and finding I've heard so I've actually heard this from um I won't say who, but a enforcer I interviewed before. Well, no, and a very good goal scorer won the Stanley Cup and told me to just 
you want to live in the present because that's where you want to be. If you go back into the past, you're, you're depression. If you go forward, it's go into the future. It's, it's anxiety, which I found very helpful in, in a person telling me that. And, you know, like it's crazy with like enforcers and stuff. I've, I've interviewed a lot to be honest with you, Bobby. And if you check out my show, you'll know, um, they're the nicest people. You you're, you think you're going to be intimidated by these people, but they're normal people, you know? So like, it's good that, I mean, I hope you're doing a lot better with post hockey career um, and stuff like that, not getting more depressed and stuff like that. And you're finding different ways of feeling better. Now you're, you're with the, you're finding good spiritual stuff. Am I right? Like with, with God yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, yeah, I'm in a, I'm in a great place right now. I struggled for a bunch for, for a bunch of years, really, especially that first year um, for me, just having, I had, I literally, my identity was so wrapped up in hockey. Like I was a person of color, obviously I'm, uh, mm-hmm. I'm my mom's Filipino, Spanish, my dad's Irish, German, white. So I grew up in this all white community in Northern Wisconsin, a little town called Peshtigo, a logging, a logging town, paper mill town. And I was literally the only person of color. I think in high school, there was, an, there was a black girl who came in high school. But for most of my schooling, I was like, why am I different? Why do I feel different? And I remember at one point in like second or third grade realizing I was different. I was like, oh, man, I'm different than everybody. I look different. And so right away, I was like, I need to find an identity. Because I didn't really know who I was. And I took it was sports. It's like, I'm going to be the best athlete I can be. I'm going to be the best hockey player. I'm going to make the NHL. I'll show them all, you know, and that's how I really, I identified myself. And then later in my career, when I was on my way to becoming a Boston Bruin, I I identified myself as a hockey fighter. I was like, I'm that guy. I'm the enforcer. No one works harder than me. No one's tougher than me. I'm I'll, I'll fight for my family. I'll fight to the death, man. I'm going to go to war every single night. And I, you know, I kind of had this alter ego, which was my nickname as well called the savage. You know, uh, Bruce Cassidy gave me that nickname down in Providence, the Savage, you know, because I would always say that, like, oh, that was a savage hit. So they just started calling me the Savage. And, um, you know, that's how I identified myself. And nobody was tougher. And then all of a sudden to have to run into the concussion problems and then the mental health issues and depression and drug and alcohol uh, abuse. I was like, whoa, I have no identity at all. Like, wh- what am I? What's the point? Like, I thought my I thought destiny for me was making the NHL. I knew it since I was a kid. I was like, I'm going to be in the NHL. I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't know where and when, but it's going to happen. I just knew that. And then all of a sudden it was taken away. I had nothing. And I was just in a pit of, you know, drug and alcohol abuse. And within that, if you've, you know, if you've been down those, those drug rabbit holes, like, man, you start to see the shadows and the darkness and the demons. And it's because that's their real man. Anybody who's, who's drank heavy or smoked heavy weed, like, They've seen the demons, man. Why? Because they're real. And so when I didn't understand that, this there was a whole spiritual world. Um, and I was just actually, for me, I, I moved my family out to Colorado. I was just smoking pot in Colorado and, um, you know, just burning out from morning till night and um, really paranoid. And and it was in that place where I picked up a Bible, man. I, I picked up, there's a Gideon's Bible. I carry one in my pocket now. It's a little guy. I picked up a Bible and I was like, I don't believe a word of this stuff. I don't believe this Jesus stuff. And I'm not interested in this stuff. And I was, I was an atheist at this point. And, um, but I was like, why is this so relevant? Like the Bible's really relevant, man. Like the, the reason it's year 2020 is because 
Jesus Christ came into the world 2020 years ago and literally changed time before him. It was called before Christ after him. It's called AD, which stands for Anno Domini. It's Latin for in the year of our Lord. So I was just getting stoned thinking about this stuff. And I'm like, what is this Lord? Who is this Lord? And I read it for myself. I just read, read through Genesis, the creation, read through John, the, the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died for sinners like me so that I can have all my sins forgiven, man. He died on that cross, took my sin so that I can receive his righteousness. And he rose from the dead three days later. And if I, if I turn from my life and turn to him in belief, and he, he gives me the greatest gift ever, everlasting life and forgiveness of sin. I was like, this is crazy. If this is true, this is crazy. And I was just pondering it, meditating on it. And by the grace of God, man, I felt it one day. It was literally, literally like I had blinders on and they went and they lifted off of my eyes and God just revealed his truth to me. And I ended up going out to the woods to get off. At this point, I was just on weed. I was pretty addicted to it. I mean, I'd been smoking every day for about two years, pretty much all day. And I just was like, I need to get off weed. Like, I'm going to go camp out for three days out in the mountains. And I just, I kind of left my wife and daughter in a hotel room. They thought I was having a manic fit. But I was like, man, something's happening here. I just need to camp for three days. I got to go. I got to go. I go out there and I end up getting lost out in the woods, man. I was lost wow. up in the wow. mountains. Yeah. I was, oh my God. I, was, I was in trouble, dude. And I had fasted for 24 hours. I didn't eat or drink anything for 24 hours, woke up that next morning and I just started walking around and I got lost out in the woods and, and I'm losing consciousness out there. And I'm like, I'm going to die out here, man. Am I going to die out here? And it's like dusk is coming and it's freezing cold. It's October up at, in, in six, 7,000 feet elevation. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to survive out here. I have the worst dehydration I've ever experienced. And man, it finally dawned on me that I wasn't going to make it, man. I was going to die. I'm lost in the mountains. And I just called upon the name of the Lord, man. I got on my knees and I was just crying and I just called out to Jesus. I said, God, please save me. If you save me, I give my life to you. And I prayed really for the first time with my, with all my heart. And after I prayed that from behind the clouds, a big ray of light shined down right over my left shoulder and shined on a tree at the bottom of that mountain. And I heard God really put a prompting on my heart. He said, keep your focus on the tree. Keep your focus on the tree. And I'm like, I had nothing left in the tank. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get to that tree. Everything in my, everything I have, all my athleticism, everything is all I got to get me to that tree. I got to that tree and behind it was the pathway that I had wandered off from up into the mountains. Oh my God. And I called wow. up to God. Oh my God. Right. I said, Oh my God, I give, I give it all to you. I'm yours, man but I need you to get me to my tent. I was dying of thirst, dude. Never been so thirsty. Now I read in the Bible about hungering, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I needed that so bad because God was exposing my sin, my, my wickedness. Like I had, you'd, you've seen me play. Like I was a, I was this, you know, big time athlete and, you know, AHL man of the year, twice male student athlete of the year, you know, community service award, shaking you know the mayor's hand kissing the baby and and like uh, in the media looking from the world's eyes like i got it figured out and i got it all together but inside i'm so sick with sin like sexual sin pornography addiction um drug and alcohol addiction and god's showing me he's like no this is who you really are he's like you are you're a wretched man and so i just i said god please get me to my my tent where i had water 
And I just remembered, keep your focus on the trees. So I said, I put it all, I give it all to you, God. I just went tree to tree down that path, 10 feet, get to that next tree, I pass out, lose consciousness, wake up. I go, oh, I got to get to the next tree, next tree, get there, pass out, lose consciousness. I did that all the way down this path for a really long time. And um, it led me right back to my tent. And I had water there, man. And I drank water and I was destroyed. And I had to go to the emergency room for dehydration and exhaustion. And that's how I, that's how I came to faith in Jesus Christ. He saved me. Um, I put all my hope in him as my savior in, in 2016. And ever since then, he's just been using me to share my story, to talk with you so that your audience hears this story about what God did in my life. And, and now I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do this full time with the, the fellowship of Christian athletes, hockey, FCA hockey is a sports ministry. And we just, we show hockey players a different way that you can, you can be a hockey player and not buy into that fake culture of hockey, but you can do it in a way that honors God and gives them and brings them glory. And so that's what we do. We work with hockey players. I work with pro players, guys in the NHL who are, who are working through pornography addiction. And we're like, I want to live in sexual purity because God wants me to be in sexual purity. And so I'm working with pro hockey players um, and we're fighting through that. There's a great book called Every Man's Battle that we're going through. I have a call tomorrow, actually. 12 guys, man, 12 pro hockey players, six NHL guys. We get on there and we're like trying to fight this good fight, the good fight of faith. And so, yeah, that's what I'm doing now. God's really blessed me. And, um, and I realize all those fights, all those hardships, everything was for a greater purpose where I thought the destiny was re reaching the NHL. And that was part of it, but God had a bigger plan to use it to, to bring him glory because he deserves to be brought glory. Yeah, absolutely. And that's mind boggling, Bobby. I, I never heard of that story. And that's absolutely uh, amazing that you, you made it out of there and you kind of found um, your own light in, in that situation. And now you're helping fellow hockey players with their demons, you know, um, right. Like you said, I mean, these these hockey players sometimes see the hockey love as Paul Newman and, and Slapshot and stuff or see Youngblood as as the new rookie playing and drinking and doing all this stuff. So I'm glad that somebody is is advocating for um, these guys, not just the um, not just the NHL with certain guys with drug addictions and stuff like that, but uh my final thing is you know what 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 is it your um your future with everything i mean i know you got um you were coached up in across the way in spain and uh i don't know much about that but it, it seems like you really um introduced the game out out that way and um with this um um christian stuff you founded with um I, I'm sorry. What what was it called again? Um, yeah, it's called FCA. So the Fellowship FCA. of Christian Athletes. Okay, and I'm glad that you're doing that to inspire hockey players and whoever to you know really find different ways instead of going down the wrong path and demons and stuff. But is it because um, is Spain actually having a, a league right now, or is it because of COVID it's on a shutdown type of thing? No, they're they're playing now. So they they did shut down last year. But yeah, they're back. Um, Spain was awesome. That was an amazing experience. You, I mean, you want to talk about crazy stories. I just told you a pretty crazy story about how God saved me. And um, 
after that, I was like, cause I, I was going to like, I wanted to get involved in the weed industry. I was like, maybe I'll be a weed farmer and do the concussion, the CBD thing. And, and, but I think there's an element to that, that I was using it for that way, but I was using it also because I've always just been an addict since I was 15 and mm. I've never really been sober. And, um, just to have a sober mind now is, is pretty amazing. But I was like, all right, God, like you saved me. I should be dead up on that mountain. What do you want from me? I give my life to you. How do you want me to, what do you want me to do? And as soon as I prayed that I got a text on my phone, literally after I prayed that a second after that said, Hey, Bobby, you want to come coach hockey in Spain? It was from an old scout, uh, Buffalo Sabres scout that I knew from years and years before who was not even on my radar, but somehow I was on his radar and this opportunity came up and he's like, Bobby Robbins would be great at that. And so I did it. I said, let's do it. And I, I just became, you know, my first coaching job was a head coach in European pro hockey. And man, it was an amazing experience with, I, our team went to the, the finals. We lost, unfortunately, ah. to San Sebastian, those guys, uh, we lost to their team, but man, I'll, I'll never forget. There was a moment where I was on the bench and I was coaching against FC Barcelona. We like, we play right next to the, um, the soccer stadium, FC Barcelona owns a bunch of different sports. We were playing there and, and I looked down and I was like, I just, man, I don't know, man, these guys, these guys don't know, they don't know who God is. And, and I'm not doing a good job of showing them who God is. And I was still early in my faith. Um, but I started thinking, I was like, man, what if I could really combine faith and hockey? And then that door just ended up closing. There was some financial problems there. And um, I ended up coming back to, to Wisconsin and then this opportunity with FCA hockey opened up, which is, you know, all hockey and faith. Like that's what it is. It's using hockey to teach faith and, you know, using faith to impact hockey and, and it's just a perfect fit. So here's where I am. And I, as far as what the future holds, you know, I, I put it all in God's hands, man. I'm living on borrowed time. I should be dead 2016 and just destroyed, but somehow God, um, he redeemed me and he said, no, I got plans for you yet. And so now it's every day just saying, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? Like, help me to live it for you. And so that's, that's how I'm living my days now. And um, it's been a big blessing and I have a family and a baby on the way. And Oh, congratulations. Yeah, God's just good, man. That's all I know all the time. He's good. Well, Bobby, I really appreciate all your stuff you've told me. And I appreciate, you know, not just the hockey side of you, but also the personal side of you. You're, you seem like a stand-up guy, you're, you know, Again, I always had the enforcer like thinking the interview is going to be like this tough guy, like Bob Probert, like <laughs> type of guy. But, you know, thank you for, you know, all your teaching you showed me. And thank you so much for all your um, stories and good times in Providence and good times in your hockey career. And um, yeah, I'll ask my cousin if she knows you because she was a senior at UMass Lowell. So maybe you. Oh, know. really? <laughs> yeah, she dated Mark in during that time. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'll ask her. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I wish nothing but the best for you. Um, maybe you can come back on and you can tell me about more hockey stuff or anything like that. And then again, Bobby, it's an honor to meet you, and it's great to know that yeah. Uh, you always be a Providence Bruin legend uh, down around here. You're probably legend in Minnesota too. So <laughs> in my own mind, maybe but I, <laughs> I appreciate it, Matt. And, and I'm actually, the cool thing is, is I'm still working with the Providence Bruins. I just, they actually just released today 
um, or at least I got it. I don't know if it's officially released, but they did a, a long interview segment with me last or two weeks ago, about 45 minutes of question and answer from fans. And we were able to dig in about my hockey career and, um, and what I'm doing now. So they they have an interest of what I'm doing now. They're really supportive of the faith side of it, which is really cool to see. And actually before COVID hit in March, I was planned to, to host a faith night out there at the dunk. Um, so, I mean, this season looks like it's going to be locked down, but hopefully for next season, um, we're already talking that I'm going to get back out there and host a faith night and it's going to be going to be pretty awesome. So that's uh, awesome. I, oh, I didn't, I did not hear that. Yeah. So I got the super exclusive. <laughs> you got the exclusive, man. You heard it here, but be on the lookout for that interview with the P Bruins. I don't know if they're going to release it where or when, but um, they're, they're really a great organization. They seem to really like what I'm doing now. And um, oh, so good. I think that's going to go on into the future as well and hopefully get out there and, and help the, the youth programs in that area with some clinics and things like that. So we'll, we'll keep, keep doing that. And as, as, uh, as anybody's listening to this for parents or for hockey players and they want to work personally with me, like we run hockey camps all summer with FCA hockey, um, FCA hockey.org. You go to that website. And I'll put that in the link when, um, when we're done with this one. Oh, great. Link to everything. Yeah. I mean, we have a, we have our own rink here. That's, it's an amazing rink. It's literally a Christian hockey rink. It has a chapel in it and we have a turf and a weight room and a rink. We run a, we run two AAA prep high school teams and we run a camps all summer. So I'm there, I'm on the ice coaching and and teaching all summer. So if people want to interact individually with, with me, FCA hockey camps are a great place to do that. And obviously just connecting with me, on social media at Bobby Robbins pro or Bobby Um, I love interacting with fans and, um, try and respond to, to everybody's. And if anybody ever wrote to me and I didn't respond, send another one. Cause somehow it just slipped through the cracks that happens, unfortunately. Um, so I know how crappy that feels, but if you don't hear back, send another one. And I definitely try and make a point to respond to everybody who reaches out. He's to telling me. the, he's telling the God's truth. <laughs> Because he did lie. back to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true, man. Right? That was a while ago. That was a big chunk in there. I was that's looking a, through. That's actually true. I wrote to you a while back about it. Um, probably, I don't know. It wasn't that long. Probably like six months ago or something. And okay. then we were talking about, um, I think you had another organization about um, chewing tobacco addiction. Yeah. Yeah. And so I did talk to you with that and you helped yes. me out with that. How are you doing with that? How's the fight? Um, I came, I, I came back cause I was going through a lot of stresses and then I'm off it back again. So not, not with it anymore. So I'm doing pretty good. Good man. And, and you know what, like, there's no shame in that. I think three years ago I, I fell back into nicotine addiction and I'm like the poster boy for, for quitting nicotine and it, you know, life got tough. And I said, well, you know what, whatever, I'm going to have one cigarette had a cigarette and I was at the store the next day buying a can of, of tobacco. So I, I did that for about a month, hiding it from my family. Finally, by, I couldn't quit. You know, I was addicted again and was Mm -hmm. just praying. I'm like, God finally just gave it up to God. I'm like, God, I need you. I'm so weak in my addictions. I need your strength. And I threw it all up to God. And he, he gave me the strength to get through those first three days. And then confessing to my wife, like in my family, that was not pretty. Um, but it, for me, I had almost had a, I don't know if pride's the right word, but I felt comfortable like, oh, that's not an issue for me anymore. Well, it, it was just a reminder that it just takes one. It just takes one bad day or one bad thing to say, oh, whatever. I'm going to just 
I'm going to go back to this. And, uh, you know, the Bible talks about that. It's like a dog returning to his own vomit. Um, we find comfort in our own vomit is what a graphic <laughs> image that is. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, just keep fighting the fight. You got to keep your knuckles up because guess what? The, we have an enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion looking to destroy us. And one yeah. of the ways that, that he tries to destroy us is through drug addiction. And man, I, I just, I love helping people with that. So um, just one, one word of advice for anybody struggling with it, man, give it to God and say, I realize that on my own and my strength, man, any strength that I have is actually just weakness. But if I can rely on God's strength and be like, God, I surrender it to you. Please take this from me. That's where, that's where uh, the enemy starts to cower in fear. Yeah, for sure. You got to just take down the lion for sure. Yes, sir. And uh, again, Bobby, thank you again. And we'll hopefully have something again and good luck with your, um, your Christian athletes, your hockey church. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty, I have to say that's pretty awesome. There's a church and a rink in the same place. That's amazing. We, I, I preach there every Thursday, man. We preach to our, our students and we're just teaching them. We're going through the Bible and, and for, for students or for hockey players who want to come to awesome camps, we literally have camps from squirts all the way up to pro. Like we, I run a pro camp with NHL guys and college guys and it's, it's that's awesome. world-class hockey training and faith training. Pretty cool. I'll get back to that to you. Three years from now, when my daughter's older, she'll go to square camp. Nice. Oh, the Mike like camp. <laughs> I like it. All right, Bobby. Thank you again. I appreciate it. And we'll reach touch base again. Thank you so much. All right, Matt. God bless you, brother. Right. See you. God bless you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. What's up? We the BMG boys. And thank you for listening. Please follow his Facebook page and subscribe to his podcast at Apple Podcasts iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Let's go. We shall have no When it comes to getting, throwing, chasing dollars.